Hi ho, this is Jordan, and I've got my eye on April 25th, 2021. It's my birthday, sure, but it's also the day of the 93rd Academy Awards. Just saying the words Academy Awards conjures the image of that golden figure people salivate over. As an entertainment industry worker, people like me live and die by the decisions made by the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences. It's a work of magic, really. The Academy gathers the most important celebrities in the world and tells us which films really were the best. Without the Academy, we just wouldn't know. And how about those acceptance speeches? Okay, I can't keep this up. The truth is, we're all being had. Movies only get nominated for Oscars if the studios backing them spend 10 to $15 million advertising the film's accolades on billboards, bus benches, and trade magazines, all while the producers host exclusive events for Academy voters where they do meet and greets with the film's talent. The majority of Academy members, as in the people actually voting for which movie wins best whatever, are statistically speaking, old white guys, something the Academy has only recently attempted to rectify. Also, if you ever want your head to explode, look up the convoluted math used to tally up votes and determine which movie wins the award. Funny thing is, despite knowing all of the Academy's sleazy methods, I still excitedly wait each year for Oscar nominations to be announced and make sure I've seen all the nominated movies ahead of time. I make top 10 lists and I've attended friends' parties where we watch the ceremony and compete to see who can predict the most winners. I definitely agree with my brother, and comedian Bo Burnham for that matter, that wealthy movie stars and filmmakers are the last people in the world who deserve an evening of being glorified and showered with praise, but I put up with the Academy and all they do for as long as I can remember. Just like my very good cinephile friend of nearly eight years, Claire. As she works in the film industry, I was so happy Claire agreed to join me to discuss the first Academy Award show we ever watched, the award show changes that occurred in the 21st century, and our opinions on past and current Oscar nominations. I'm not going to issue a spoiler warning for this podcast because there really aren't spoilers anywhere, and while we do say a bit too much about certain movies' plots, I figure if you didn't see a decade-old Oscar-nominated movie then, you're not going to now. Disclaimer, I noticed while editing that Claire and I faced some audio issues that I couldn't exactly fix. One such problem was the background barking of Claire's dog, Dolly, but Claire texted me an adorable photo of Dolly this morning to assure me that the dog said she was very sorry. In any case, it's such a blast talking about movies with Claire, and I think you'll like part one of our conversation. So, unless you're trying to watch, Nomadland, The Father, Promising Young Woman, Minari, and Judas and the Black Messiah before Sunday's award ceremony, sit back and let me give you your year 2000 fix. And let's welcome Claire. Claire Chella, thank you so much for joining me today. Hey Jordan, I'm so glad to be here. Thanks for having me. Are you excited for the upcoming Oscars? I guess we can start with that. Mixed feelings, as always, with the Oscars. I feel yeah. like in and out of the entertainment industries, it's kind of maybe not controversial, but it's certainly a hot topic as award shows normally are. But this year should be very interesting, what with the pandemic and seeing how that plays out. 
Yeah, pandemic, I guess, made such a delay that it's going to be on my birthday. So. Yeah, it's late this year. Is there any where you're like, oh, I really hope this one wins Best Picture or any like nominees? Yes, I'm a big Chloe Zhao Nomadland fan. <laughs> um, I think that could be the dark horse this year. I mean, it's not like the dark horse because it does have some amazing talent and it's already been critically acclaimed. I mean, you have Francis McDormand and the backdrop of the American West and an incredibly talented female director. So I don't think you can go wrong, but I'm really, really hoping they'll choose. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think I was as much as a fan of that one, but Francis McDormand, probably my favorite actor for the most part. Were you a promising young woman fan? I was, yeah. I love Emerald Fennel. I thought that was just such a powerhouse of a movie and the ending left me speechless in a way that I didn't expect and I thought the whole thing was just a political scary sad it was yeah, yeah that one hit hard I think that's my second place after Nomad right yeah, and I guess I'd also throw in The Five Bloods, and I thought I would think the trial of the Chicago 7 would just be a cheesy Sorkin movie, and it still is, but like, I don't know, I, I didn't like dislike it. Yeah, I haven't seen that one yet. I've heard great things, and I did not love The Five Bloods, sadly. Um, <laughs> that's my controversial take. I'm just a big Spike Lee fan, and I didn't think oh, that yeah, was his too. strongest. Um, but I do think there's a lot of good titles out there that are getting kind of their day in the sun this Oscars, which I am happy about. Yeah, well, I think to anyone who didn't already know, the actual tradition of giving awards goes back to a very American practice, and that is busting unions. Louis V. Mayer from Metro-Goldwyn-Mayer, who's like, I got all this construction that needs to be done on my very lavish properties. People from MGM, they are unionizing. Their, like, costs are gonna increase. Soon enough, I bet all those Hollywood people are gonna do the exact same. So let's convince them to join this thing called the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences. And for added measure, let's make them all compete against each other. Like, you know, instead of banding together. And we'll do this that by having them fight for awards. Perfect, right? Yeah. <laughs> Do you remember the very first Oscars you saw or like just even as a kid, like where it registered like, okay, there's this thing that happens every year in the entertainment industry where they give like awards for movies and... Oh, absolutely. Uh, my parents are both real big fans of film, the arts, so we would watch it every year. But the first year that really stood out for me was the 2002 Academy Awards, I believe, that Whoopi Goldberg hosted. And part of her shtick was at one point swooping down on like a swan. <laughs> I really remember that and just being like, okay, this is so weird. All these people are so weird. I love it. I definitely like left early and like constructed a like best director speech in my bathroom mirror. It became somewhat of like a, you know, viewing tradition and never missed one as a child. But that one was my favorite. You know, it's funny because I'm pretty sure that was the exact same Oscars. That was probably the first ceremony I ever saw. And the one thing that stood out is it was the introduction of the best animated feature, that category. And I mean, in a little bit, we can go over just like what we saw in like the past few awards. But the thing that really blew my mind as like a six-year-old was that the movies nominated were Shrek, Monsters Incorporated, and Jimmy Neutron. And they had like the CG characters in their seats clapping. Mind-blowing. 
Yeah, no, mind blown. I don't think I knew any other movie. Obviously, they're mostly R-rated, and we were... Right. But yeah, I do remember being, like, knocked off my feet. Like, Shrek is really there. You know, you actually touched on something that I was, like, trying to segue into. It's like, so, these Best Picture nominees, yeah, they're mostly R-rated, but for the longest time, really since the Academy's inception, there were only five movies they would put as best picture and what that meant is they were all kind of the same kind of oscar bait as i recall it was usually like okay four of them are gonna be like the really pretentious like historical dramas and then one of them is like the kind of serious comedy or something that doesn't win there's two reasons why by the time they do the award show in 2010, they up it to 10 nominations. So that's actually what we see now. And based off all accounts, it seems like good decision. And it's partly because when they were doing the awards for the 2008 movies, so many people are like, where's Wally? Where's the Dark Knight? And even the Academy's then president, Sid Janis, is like, yeah, I'd be lying if like the Dark Knight didn't come up in discussion. And that's why we're going to like expand it a bit. Absolutely. Because of course it was a winner in another, uh, another category with Heath. And you know, as noted, so it's been about 10 years since they've done that, where it's like now 10, sometimes you see eight or nine in a certain year, but it paid off mostly in ratings. I mean, that that's the real strategy is it's like, if enough people can be like, oh, I actually saw that movie. So I have a vested interest in like seeing if it wins anything. Great. I can watch it because above all, it's not really as like artistic as they'd like you to believe 100 percent. i'm convinced it's all about revenue and box office sales more so than like really applauding the artwork behind films but i'm sure we'll delve into that <laughs> i guess i would say a positive result is by 2009 or, or the awards honoring 2009 movies you see district 9 avatar and glorious bastards are included in the list and then in 2010 they put the kids are all right the social network inception with the usual nominees and so you get like actually more interesting movies and I don't think if they had kept it where it's just five movies I don't think we would have got Parasite even nominated oh no which already is a problem but like again they did something about it animated movies went from being something where it was just you get these films they're made by Disney and they get like a special achievement award like Snow White Roger Rabbit Toy Story they get these like non-category non-competitive category awards and then finally by the time I think by the time we're watching that Oscar ceremony from 2002 we're like okay it's just the norm to see a bunch of animated movies made by different people compete for each other just seeing the diversity of you know in that field uh the films that have been nominated like uh persepolis is one of my like favorite movies it happens to be nominated in 2007 i believe yeah yeah it was nominated alongside ratatouille which yeah i, I actually think is a pretty brilliant movie and surfs up I don't know. You explain that one. I could not if I tried. Um, <laughs> but it is cool to see kind of more of like an art house animation project up there with, you know, the DreamWorks and Pixar. And I think it's only gotten better in that category. This is an interesting side effect is probably the reason you see a certain type of film win in the animated category each year or like where the joke is like, oh, it's best Pixar film unless there isn't one is because you get Academy members who are like, what are these movies? Because like, okay, in case anyone doesn't know, it's like the Academy's made of about like a couple thousand different people. They get all these movies for consideration and it's really up to them like how much they watch or like what they're going to engage with and then they vote. 
fly, you get like some faulty winners. You can find like anonymous academy members who will give you their brutal opinion about like why they voted a certain way or what they were looking at. And one was like in 2013 or like for that upcoming Oscar, she's like, oh, I really like the, um, I think it was a Ghibli film, The Wind Rises. But she's like, eh, but my grandkids love Frozen, so I have to vote for that. <laughs> Typical. Yeah. And actually, if you wouldn't mind, if we just go over, like, the first 10 or so years of these um, animated movies, we were kids, we were, like, actively watching these movies. We might not have seen, like, every nominee for a while, but, like, we were seeing these ones. The very first one, as mentioned, was Shrek beating Jimmy Neutron, Boy Genius, and Monsters Incorporated. I, I think that's a good choice. 100%. I, to this day, love Shrek. Shrek 2 yeah. is a cinematic masterpiece. I'm right. not being sarcastic. I love that movie. And I think easily beats out the other two titles. Shrek is love, Shrek is life. <laughs> <laughs> One could say that. And yeah, and I even remember my mom being like, when she sees the nominees on TV, she's like, oh, it's going to be Shrek. And I was like, oh, she's right. And the following year, then we get a Studio Ghibli, Hao Miyazaki film winning, Spirited Away. Beats Ice Age, Lilo and Stitch, Spirit, Stallion of the Samarin, if I'm pronouncing that right, and Treasure Planet. I think also a good choice. I mean, Lilo and Stitch is probably the best Disney movie made in the 21st century, but like, Spirited Away. That's to this day, one of my like top five favorite movies as an adult. Clean sweep, right. I think. Sure, yeah. And then the next year, um, I don't think anyone's going to argue. This was actually Pixar's first win, was Finding Nemo, which beats Brother Bear, a Disney movie, and I didn't even bother writing uh, some other French movie. Because this is the joke that I keep seeing, is that like, okay, it's always going to be the Pixar movie or like the big budget movie that beats a foreign animated movie no one saw. Which sometimes is too bad, because like, they're like good movies maybe, but they're, they're never going to win. No, they just don't have the same distribution here. I get it. <laughs> yeah, and it must have been a really sparse year for good animated films for the 2004 movies because The Incredibles, great movie. It beats Shark Tale and I don't know, Shrek 2, uh, yes, I will unironically say, yeah, I, I like that. But like, come on, Shark Tale, that movie just makes me so mad. Oh, it just makes me uncomfortable. The fish look yeah. too human. Oh yeah, no, it's so gross, and like, it just, and it showed, I mean, I think DreamWorks finally got it together, it's just, there's so much that in those movies you don't, it's like, what are they doing? I really like the one that won after this, Wallace and Gromit, The Curse of the Were-Rabbit, and it actually beat, I mean, this is interesting, because these aren't, um, Corpse Bride, Howl's Moving Castle, aren't like the typical Disney Pixar fest. And I can't really speak to Happy Feet beating Cars and Monster House. I, I think that was just kind of like a weird year. Yeah, there's something off about that movie, and I think that's why I liked it. Yeah, and as mentioned, we got Ratatouille that beat Persepolis and Surf's Up. I remember being mad that the Simpsons movie wasn't nominated. Then Wally beat Bolt and Kung Fu Panda. And then Up for 2009's movies beat Coraline, Fantastic Mr. Fox, The Princess and the Frog, and some movie called The Secret of Tell. I'm such a controversial Fantastic Mr. Fox fan. Yeah. That that was, I, I remember really rooting for that one, but I mean, it's a pretty good lineup. So those are changes we've seen in our lifetime with like the increase in Best Picture nominees, the animated movies having their own category, and what we've seen in a few different variations over the years is the increase of Academy voters in the name of diversity because, oh man, they just always find a way to screw it up. It's just like, they just have to admit, yeah, our average member is 
is like 63 years old and is an old white guy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah but we're diversity. We're here to do We're better that. than the Hollywood foreign press. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know what's so funny is that I really don't like the Hollywood foreign press. And I mean, I was totally following all the controversy uh, a month or so ago. But like, at least everyone knows they're a joke. They let you drink. Like TV stars get to sit next to the movie stars. And for the Zoom acceptance speeches, like Jason Sudeikis is wearing a hoodie. But the Academy's like, hey, none of that. You have to actually risk your health and show up in person. And don't you even think about not wearing a suit. Oh, God. So formal. For such an informal industry, honestly. It's... I know. The irony. (laughs) Yeah, and we haven't even mentioned, again, for anyone who isn't, like, inside film, is that if you want to get a movie nominated, you're going to have to spend millions and see everywhere you go, in trade magazines, billboards, bus benches, other magazines, news publications, these things where it's like, for your consideration, remember it won all this stuff. And we'll get to a little later, like the sleaziest of sleazy measures of like actually ensuring things get nominated. I think it's like 90% PR and 10% the movie itself. No, and I think like, I haven't seen Black Panther and I recognize it for being like the Marvel movie that was of high quality, that it was like the first like really mainstream like black superhero movie, um, like at least in the 21st century, among other like accolades. But I kind of feel like that sort of is proof that, hey, you can take any movie and if you spend 10 to 15 million, you can get it nominated for Best Picture. Yeah, I mean, I I did enjoy that movie, but not to be a Martin Scorsese, I'm not like a big Marvel person. I feel like just it was the perfect storm of like, really great acting from Chadwick Boseman. Rachel Morrison was the DP. I mean, like, really incredible top-of-the-line female cinematographer and really interesting content, great supporting cast. But I do just have a thing about superhero movies. (laughs) Yeah. And that's more about me than anyone else. (laughs) No, I kind of think, like, for almost 10 years, I've had, like, just complete apathy towards the MCU. And, yeah, Martin Scorsese's like, these are just theme park rides and, like, yeah, probably, but that's why I wasn't really watching them. What did, what did you think of the proposed change, I think that's like a year ago, of the best popular film? Um, I don't know the exact, like, guidelines of it. I think the Oscars already is kind of about popular films in a very curated way, if that makes sense. I do like the thought of viewers themselves having more of a say, but I do know that that was initiated to allow more diversity, if I'm correct. I think just as like the 10 nominations for best picture was kind of like to get more people interested or like show like, oh, we can actually recognize these films. I think the idea was get like actual popcorn blockbusters or like movies that don't get nominated for Oscars, their own category. But I mean, I think people just saw it for what it was. You know, if you're going to be this like pretentious organization that gives these recognitions in all the wrong places, you might as well just keep doing what you're doing. And then we have the proposed 2024 change where, again, this is done in the name of like increasing diversity or like trying to like avoid the same criticisms they get every year. And it's that a film would have to meet two out of four proposed categories. And just reading it, it's it's so strange. It's like there's a group A 
where there's like an underrepresented racial or ethnic group in a lead or there's two of them in like a supporting role or there's like a main storyline about them and that goes with group B where it's like about the people behind the scenes are like people of color or like um, are a marginalized group. And then group C is about like what kind of diversity training they had. And then group D is about like, well, what was the audience seeing the movie? And the point is like, okay, so a movie just has to have two out of four to be nominated. But the irony is that they want you to think that we do it this way. We're going to get best picture nominees that are more diverse or that are going to have like everyone who doesn't get nominated right now nominated. But the way they set it up, it just, it allows for the same problematic movies that get nominated to stay nominated it doesn't really change much it's like a very cringy set of guidelines to read through too like it's just like first and foremost those movies are already being made like why aren't you acknowledging them until now like we've seen incredibly diverse cast crew those movies have been made they're not getting acknowledged by you guys why is that instead of you know i feel like having the new guidelines is kind of the Academy patting themselves on the back and being allowed to be seen as like, oh, we're really trying. Like we're, we're inclusive. Look like, can't you guys see that? Like, and it's like, no, because you've had years and years to acknowledge diverse film and filmmakers. And it's like kind of too little too late. Right. And just to drive the point home in case what I said earlier wasn't clear to the listener, it's a movie like Green Book would fulfill two or maybe even three out of four of those like proposed categories or like about like those parameters the academy sets up and the thing is is that wouldn't make a movie like that any less problematic or open to criticism because like look it has Mahershala Ali as like supporting actor so like that covers the bulk of it it had like what's her name from the help Octavia Spencer was like kind of an in-name only producer executive producer of the film and I'm sure there's something else they can point to, but that's already two out of four, and that wouldn't stop a movie like that from getting nominated. Right. And I think that would bring us to the section I I was excited to talk to you about, which is what I call the scuzzy nominations. And kind of a game here, we're going to list three to five best picture movies between the years 2000 to 2020 that critics praised, everyone loved, they were nominated or remembered for being Oscar greats, even to this day, but we're going to stand by that they really suck. So do you want to go first? I'm so ready. I feel like yeah. I'll, I'll ease into it by first naming the film that I think we all in hindsight are like, why was that ever nominated? Why was it critically acclaimed? And that film is Crash. Oh, okay, yes. No, I'm excited to talk about Crash, but you go first. Just a complete disastrous, just white male gaze view of how everyone can be racist, right? Like, it was just... I I get it was supposed to be like this powerful statement on like race relations in Los Angeles, an interesting topic, but it was just done so poorly, so problematically, like the fact as well that it beat out Brokeback Mountain, I believe, was just a total upset. And when I think of movies that have not held up in the public eye, in the past few years, Crash is my number one. Like no one even wants to talk about that movie in the industry anymore it's untouchable 
Right. And so full disclosure is that I haven't actually seen it in full because I considered like, do I really have to watch it in preparation just so I can like chime in here and say, yep, you're absolutely right. It sucks. I guess I went for the next best thing is seeing this guy he made a funny video just about like why it sucks that used enough clips for me to see it. And the first thing that caught my eye is like, wait, I should not be laughing this much or like being like, oh my God, how is this so obvious written by like people who just are so far removed from what they're talking about and like there's that scene at the beginning where Ludacris and the other guy they're just casually talking they're like criticizing it's like wow how dare they like look at us it's like they're just racial stereotyping and it all seems valid even if the dialogue's really cheesy and then they just suddenly break out guns and steal Sandra Bullock's car and so bad. yeah okay but see this is the part that really got to me is um I don't know if you ever watch sometimes like on YouTube those last week tonight with John Oliver yeah a while ago he did a segment on Sherpas and climbing Mount Everest kind of to make the point that the whole journey was overrated but there's one clip they work in from a documentary where this guy, I don't know who he was, but he's some white guy. He's being guided by a Sherpa. And the Sherpa, he's like kind of asking him, it's like, well, how do you feel? Like they show you how awful being a Sherpa is, the danger and like how they have to do all this work. And he's like, well, how do you feel about doing this for me? And the guy's like about to say like, uh, well, I don't know. You know, I personally feel this. But then the white guy totally cuts him off and gives him a hug. And when it cuts to John Oliver, he's like, that's right. Hug the white guilt out. <laughs> and that's kind of what I feel like we're seeing in Crash where we get Sandra Bullock who's so over the top racist like she suspects her Hispanic locksmith and her cleaning lady of being like thieves and are gonna like assault her and then she gets hurt and the cleaning lady like comes to save her so she hugs her and she's like well you're my best friend now and <laughs> Oh my god. And yeah, and there's another scene with like, what is it, Matt Dillon? Racist cop who assaults a woman, but then he saves her from, wait for it, a crash. Oh, and did I not mention that they do the title drop within the first few minutes of the movie? So like, any chance this movie had of like, not being cheesy, they blew it. And it's just so fucking wrong. It yeah, is. Like, I mean, like, redemption for the sexual assaulting police officer great great character arc like we really needed to see that and then I just don't have respect for folks who want to talk about like actual issues like racial issues obviously very prevalent in our society but then do it such a disservice that people who are trying to like learn more about you know what it's like in LA or whatever are just like what the frick like <laughs> just kind of like make a joke out of it or a dramatization it's like if you really wanted to examine those dynamics or show the reality of what it's like being of different races in Los Angeles like maybe that's not your story to tell yeah no and I think it was supposedly based on like Paul Haggis he got his car stolen or carjacked and he's like but I actually sympathize and I, I do agree yeah it's like for some people it's just not their story to tell and I think there can be a way for like white people to like give their thoughts on it but if there is it sure as hell ain't um the way it's done in Cratch and yeah it's just as insulting to know that like Brokeback Mountain didn't win because the academy had admitted homophobes who are like I'm not gonna watch it and yeah no people like um, straight up being like I refuse to see it I refuse to screen it I'm gonna limit the release to certain regions like you know people in I think somewhere in the midwest Utah yeah the west um 
you know, like, we're, we're banning it from theaters. That just sucks. It's kind of weird how controversial that movie was, or just how behind we were. If, like, I, I don't want to say we progressed so much, but it's, like, to think what you see in that movie was rubbing people the wrong way that badly. It's kind of strange. Very backwards. It's, like, if you feel comfortable seeing, like, female nudity, like, Anne Hathaway had a scene where she was topless, like, whatever, yeah. in a sex scene... The scenes between Jake Gyllenhaal and Heath Ledger's characters were very subtle and, like, I didn't find to be that graphic. So there is that uh-huh. interesting uh, trade-off where people are like, oh, it's heterosexual sex, cool. Oscar nom. <laughs> right. So do you want to give me one of your others? Okay, yes. I have them all written down. Oh, and I appreciate it. <laughs> oh, yes. Uh, Green Book was my other one, yep. uh, which we discussed earlier, mostly just because another film that was nominated that year, uh, or that came out that year, I thought addressed race relations in America in a totally better and more interesting way, which would be the Spike Lee film Black Klansman. Oh, okay. I thought you were going to say if Beale Street could talk. But, oh, uh, I, I do love that one, too. Yeah. Um, but I thought Black Klansman was just electric and incredible. And the fact that Adam Driver was nominated for Best Actor and not John David Washington, who was the actual lead and the actual Black person in Black Klansman, pissed me off. And I thought it was like just right. really trashy, if you will, <laughs> to choose Green Book over like an actual gritty, realistic depiction of race in america made by someone of color so that that is my number two after crash and it's worth noting so at that ceremony that was like spike lee finally won an oscar he was one of four people to win best adapted screenplay for me you know what i really was kind of upset by was that uh bohemian rhapsody world's worst editing job wins best editing like why is it even nominated meanwhile black klansman has many action-packed scenes and it has that really great ending where it shows like the kkk back in the 60s 70s compared to charlottesville 2017 i really wanted to like black klansman it wasn't my all-time favorite but of course i would have rather that one over green book because like i think on my list of movies i'm mad like were nominated or got the recognition they did i put green book crash and actually even threw in a movie that like is better than those three billboards outside ebbing missouri oh jordan same Yeah, well, there's two problems. One is that the Academy loves giving awards to movies that are about racial segregation and slavery, where the message is, isn't it great that there's no more slavery or black people can sit at a diner in a restaurant, which I don't know, even that isn't really true if you really think about what those movies are implying. But that's how we get like The Help, 12 Years a Slave is nominated. Like they could have done Fruitvale Station and like that would have, you could have argued that was the more relevant movie so green book follows the same formula i mean there's the white savior element i think the part that probably bothers me the most is that tony lips racism is shown as like a character development arc where it's like well he learned to not be racist just as mahershala ali's character dr shirley learned to not be so snobbish and be more like some of those working class because that is exactly the same as people who uphold the system of systemic racism right no i 100 percent agree and 
especially with three billboards. I mean, as we've discussed, Frances McDormand, we love her. I love her. She acted the hell out of that movie with what she was given. Sam Rockwell turned a great performance as a super racist piece of shit that we're supposed to like sympathize with. Yeah, no, three billboards is actually interesting because for me, I think it's kind of like intertextuality because... At first, I kind of thought, well, I I like the plot, and I thought, like, oh, well, there's even funny dialogue. I mean, I still laugh at the way Frances McDormand delivers the line, doesn't shit girl have a curfew? (laughs) Yeah, no, and there's great acting, good performances. What I don't like is the racist cop, which someone pointed out, I was like, what the hell? His name is actually Jason Dixon. That's the name of Sam Rockwell's character. You see him, it's the same thing where it's like, oh, his racism was just like a character flaw he grew out of. Right. Yeah, no one's like, hey, police are always good. So it's like, you know, he just needed to learn not to be so racist and not to do like pretty much every bad thing police officers get accused of. I think the part that really just to hit the nail on the head is that the only black characters, they're pushed to the side and like she has like the black friend who gets arrested and you just forget about that. They don't have empowering storylines or any action or say in the trajectory of the story. They're just used as props. Right. Yeah. For a movie about like racial tension once again and police and the small town like it was really shocking how little people of color actually played into the story visually on screen in that film and anyone who's like yelling back at us at its core the problem is it's supposed to be like oh slice of life america um it was based off a real woman who actually did something kind of outrageous of like putting a billboard to call attention to a crime someone was the victim of but it's written directed by a british guy he even argued like oh hey the racist cop actually isn't redeemed but you still get like this feeling like he doesn't really get what the horrors like going on in like America when it comes to policing to how crimes are handled to how rape cases are solved and it just I wish I could say like oh but I can put that aside as I do like other problematic movies but it is kind of hard to go back with that with it being made so recent and like everything else like you're forced to pay attention to now yeah it did feel i don't know if it is because the writer is british but it did feel very like removed from reality and very distant to me at least like if you read the script it's it's like a really aloof screenplay if that makes sense (laughs) so yeah i'm curious what else was on your list so my all-time least favorite movie and i should clarify when i say least favorite movie it's easy to say like oh i hated that adam sandler comedy or i hated do you remember there used to be those movies like epic movie or like there's like scary movie yeah that would just be gross ripoffs of movies that came out less than a year earlier okay that's shooting fish in a barrel for me when i say these are my least favorite movies they're movies in the sense that like everyone says they're so great but i just really resent what they are and for me i put number one a beautiful mind I just hate that movie and I think part of it has to do with the fact that it was just so weird and I guess I just really hated that it shows a real life mental illness and portrays it as but it's cute because he's actually having conversations with people and it prompts them to do this 
they completely ignore the fact that like this guy was like i don't know anti-semitic kind of bigoted and like that's why he didn't get to give his Nobel prize speech totally yeah i don't think i've ever finished that movie it's like crash for you like i just remember watching yeah. it and being like is this how schizophrenia really works like it really seems charming here yeah, I don't know why that of all things just really gets me outraged. So unlike these other movies we, we spent a lot talking about where we're talking about race politics or like where like they're racist movies about racism. This is another category of Oscar movie I hate where it's like, I don't know if I can really enjoy it to know that like they really want you to know this is a true story. This is real life and they fuck it up so much. And like, that's why I, I didn't bother seeing Captain Phillips, the, you know, the Tom Hanks movie where he's the boat captain who gets held hostage by Somali pirates because here's a funny detail about it. The real life Captain Phillips endangered his crew because he was warned several times if you go through this coast you're gonna get raided by Somali pirates and what do you think happened? <laughs> Another movie I put on my list was The Departed, which I just think is like the Academy saying to Martin Scorsese, look, we're really sorry we didn't give it for Goodfellas. So here's this movie. It's a remake of a foreign movie. My God, it's just like, it's boring. It's contrived. And it has one of the worst endings I've ever seen. <gasps> no. Yeah. Okay. So maybe if we, if we finally hit some tension here. Oh no. The showdown begins. Um, yeah. <laughs> when I first saw The Departed, I was like, oh my god, this is so cool. Like, I love the fucking Dropkick Murphys and Boston and, like, great soundtracks. I mean, like, you give me Rolling Stones within the first five minutes and I'm sold. But in retrospect, now when I watch that movie, I'm just like, oh my god. Like, I understand how you feel. I still think yeah. the ending is obvious and brilliant and just dumb and i do like that about the film the more i think about the departed i'm just like mm. the poor psychiatrist like vera farmiga's character who like gets roped oh, into a, like, the only female character i know it's like do you guys not know how to professionally interact with a mental health professional like it's insulting <laughs> it's really insulting yeah. so i always hold a place in my heart for the departed but i do understand what you're saying yeah. uh what are your views on slumdog millionaire because it's kind of on my list for me it's like uh, I, I don't know how to feel about it i think it's a really beautiful film is it my favorite no do i think that a bunch of white people were like oh love this story of like poverty it's so beautiful and touching to like watch brown people mm -hmm. suffer so terribly like the drama yeah after all that's what it's like in india everywhere you go yeah once again a little insulting but i don't know it did introduce us on a larger scale to dev patel and to that i'm very grateful <laughs> right and are we in agreement that bohemian rhapsody just proves that the music biopic is a broken formula <laughs> 100% agreed. I, I don't think there's much to say about that. Ooh, no. Mm -mm. Right. Even Rami Malek's teeth couldn't save that movie for me. Right. Moving on a little bit. I've noticed that every year, I mean, we were, we're really going over like all these movies that we, we don't really like or that are kind of, we portray as Oscar bait. I've noticed that every single year there's a cliche anecdote you're supposed to know before you watch the Oscar ceremony. 2011. If you didn't see it, you were told by everyone, did you know The Artist is a completely silent movie? 
Then in 2012, it was, did you know in Les Miserables, they were actually singing live? And it's so funny because over the years, any music expert worth their salt is going to tell you, yeah, it was done live. And this is why it was such a shitty idea for them to do it. 2013, did you know that Tom Hanks didn't meet Barkad Abdi until they filmed their very first scene in Captain Phillips for authenticity? 2014, we get a mix where it's, did you know that Richard Linklater filmed Boyhood over the course of 12 years? Slash, did you know that Alejandro and Yartu made Birdman look like one shot? Yeah. <laughs> 2015, I was really disinterested in that year's movies. I'm sure we heard plenty about Leonardo DiCaprio going like method for The Revenant. And then 2016, this is actually a funny one for me is, did you know that Ryan Gosling actually played piano in La La La? And the thing is, my brother, he's a very good pianist. And when his friends were like, did you know Ryan Gosling actually played piano? He's like, yeah, it's really easy. I'm going to show you right now. And he, he shows up like he plays the song with that Ryan Gosling. Song. And did you know that Ryan Gosling invented jazz? <laughs> yeah. But anyway, are you ready to talk about scuzzy nominations that these are the kinds that bought themselves and the nominations that just prove the Academy has no integrity? Always. Okay, Woody Allen, over the years, still got movies nominated. How about that? Shocking. <laughs> A monster. You know what I did find like so wrong was that in 2018, there's an Oscar ceremony. This is after, this is the first Oscars after Me Too. So, you know, no more obligatory shots of a monster we're going to be forced to name in just a moment. But they emphasize diversity. We're here. We're like on the side of, of respecting people's equality and their rights and like against bigotry and misogyny, etc. Who wins Best Animated Short Oscar? Kobe Bryant <laughs> for Dear Basketball. Bad look. Moving on to a little less of a dark topic is it's annoying when we see like the Academy awarding best picture to films that are about the entertainment industry. Argo, The Artist, Birdman. Yeah, I just as far as films go about <sighs> filmmaking or the entertainment industry or Hollywood, I always just kind of groan internally especially when they're oscar bait because the oscars if anything are kind of a vanity project to celebrate hollywood this tiny little privileged bubble of creators so when it's like on top of that about themselves <laughs> yeah it just makes me cringe a little bit the artist not my favorite birdman i thought was self-critical enough to be good yeah good performances interesting plot Argo, just my problem with it is it just falls in the category of like, can't really enjoy it when you know what the real deal was. And Ben Affleck apparently wasn't aware that this operation called the Canadian Caper meant that it was actually the Canadian government doing more so than it was the CIA and them working in this plot about like, oh, we're going to pretend they're a movie crew scouting locations and we're flying them out. So... Uh, how into usually each year are you into like movies that aren't in English or like from other countries that like get these award nominations? Um, I want to be better at accessing them. I, I love foreign film and I think 
a lot of like American films take a lot from foreign film and don't give them the proper accolades. So unfortunately, I'm not as educated as I would like to be, but I do try to make an effort when I can to find those films or, you know, go to smaller theaters that maybe are screening them. I know like back in New York, there were several small independent theaters that would have like a festival every year of all the Oscar nominated foreign films but I do know that has been a hot topic when it comes to the Oscars why certain films that should be up for best picture don't make it to that category and have to be kind of constrained to a foreign film or don't even make it to that category yeah and you know one thing I think this became apparent with last year's Oscars is I didn't realize that with each foreign movie it's that each country's government submits one single movie to be considered. And the reason they do that is because there are certain countries that produce more films over the other. And I don't know how to feel about that. I mean, because I was mad that Les Miserables, I did think it was like a fine movie, but France was only allowed to submit that one. And that's why Portrait of a Lady on Fire, the movie that I love so much. You know how I feel about that one. (laughs) Amazing film that I think was, if not best international feature worthy, best picture worthy. Like that was a movie that had one of the biggest impacts on me of that year. If Parasite could get enough attention as it did, I don't know why that one doesn't. This is another sub-issue is with the actual country's government submitting the movies. Tell me, do you ever think we're going to see nominated for Best International Feature movie from China about the Uyghur genocide? Probably not. And you know, this is the self-righteousness hypocrisy of the Academy. They're there to honor best films. And there's plenty of examples of low grossing movies that got all these awards or like that were nominated. But I remember feeling so disgusted seeing like Hollywood Reporter interviews, the seven CEOs of like big entertainment companies. And they all say without hesitation that they have no problem doing business with China or like appeasing their actual government. Like without hesitation, they're like, no, they're the biggest foreign box office. We have to like do this it's just like what we do but what you find is they're so open about that and it's like well wait i thought we should just be concerned about quality about movies that matter but no the academy's thinking like wait i actually work for these studios or i make movies that have to appeal to like chinese government officials or like their censors so i am using china but like of course it's gonna apply to any other government i i just pick on china because like biggest foreign film market non-american And it's kind of ironic because in the U.S., I mean, we can see, like, controversial movies criticizing our own government be nominated. But we're going to appease, like, the worst of another country. (laughs) Right. I think we've avoided it for this long, but it was very much present when we grew up. The Harvey Weinstein problem. You ever see that video where it's a compilation of all these hacks going, and thank you to Harvey Weinstein, and they show the obligatory shot of him in the audience. Yep, just looking like a evil little man. Oh, I know. I, I mean, like what he's done is so awful. I don't even want to make jokes about it. I know. The power that he was able to hold and exert over other people like it's all been said but it's just it's still just like deeply shocking to me (laughs) like 
for the ceremony being held in 2003. Gangs of New York, Chicago, The Hours, and even the second Lord of the Rings movie he had his ties to. But he really wanted Martin Scorsese to win Best Director for that ceremony. Scorsese didn't win, but like basically what he was doing is he was pimping out Martin Scorsese. It's what he does is he gets these people. He's like, we're just going to hold these open parties. We're going to go directly to your home. We're going to make it really easy for you to spend FaceTime with like these celebrities. As you see all these other examples, like this one, I felt like I needed to take a shower is like learning that he got Charlie Chaplin's granddaughters to give a speech before a screening of The Artist. Um, this one really rubbed me the wrong way is did you see philomena i did yes yeah i actually liked that movie i thought steve coogan was um, pretty funny and like the way he put it together but i didn't realize i forgot that was like a weinstein movie but what he did is similar to how in the late 80s he got daniel day lewis to testify to congress which was really just a secret promotion for my left foot he got the real philomena lee to lobby actual congress lawmakers to be like we need to change adoption laws in the u.s and to know that what he's really doing is being like how could you cheat this woman out of her oscar or like really him because like she's not gonna win anything master manipulator i did not know that that's like above and beyond dirty hands like oh yeah Oh, here's one I'm going to quote directly from the article is 2009 when frontrunner Slumdog Billionaire was hit suddenly with negative press implying that it is filmmakers had exploited the movie's Indian child actors. People assumed Weinstein was behind it. His response? What can I say? When you're Billy the Kid and people around you die of natural causes, everyone thinks you shot them. <laughs> this guy like thought he was untouchable. I know. And when you realize he was friends with Hillary Clinton and Oprah and like all these other like well-known people, he's able to just at a snap of a finger summon. I mean, it's tragic because it's like, well, no wonder people knew as much as they did and were too scared to say anything. And and I'm talking about the actual survivors and victims, not like the people enabling him. No, no, no. A hundred percent. Like the wake of, um, you know, lesser known women victims who like haven't been able to speak out or whose lives and careers have been ruined i just i have no sympathy for him and (laughs) well he was really good at being a producer who was just as famous as he was because i don't think that was really typical was it for like an independent movie distributor to have like name recognition as like the celebrities who he touted but that was his talent is he's like you won't get paid as much but i promise you you're getting that oscar and everything else that goes with it and then behind the scenes he's doing all that gross stuff well what a downer to end on but don't worry claire and i will be back in your podcast feed in just a few days with part two of our discussion we'll discuss the awards the academy actually got right and we'll recap some pretty interesting controversies that happen at actual ceremonies, as well as our general thoughts on the Oscars. So, in the meantime, message me on Anchor with your movie picks, and I'll be back shortly. (laughs) ¶¶